situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley. With me in the studio is Joe Quinn. Hello. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. Today is Sunday, October 15, 2017. It's been two weeks since the Las Vegas massacre. We already did a show on it last week, but we're going to do most of this show also on it. I mean, there have been a lot of updates. There have been a lot of updates on the one hand. On the other hand, there's still no official story. I mean, there's no actual record to set straight because there is no straight record. <laughs> so we're going to see what they're saying now. Um, also share some things we've uncovered or think we've uncovered. I mean, there's a lot of data, a lot of noise, but I think the short of it is it's fairly clear this is bigger than one guy. Um, most, How I think a lot of people... Dare you say such a thing? Well, you know... What are you? Do you hate America? To heck with it. You know, they're, they're called conspiracy theory. Well, fine, whatever. I mean, at this point, we don't care being called it because it's so blatant. It's in, a, it's in your face. Um, you know. Well, the thing is, we didn't say anything. Uh, we didn't say much about it publicly. We didn't write anything on it because really over the past two weeks, since, first of, since the 1st of October, um, the police have been getting their story straight or trying to get their story straight and it's changed as you might know uh, three times already um, so we didn't see don't mind that noise we didn't um, see any point in in writing anything about it uh, where, while the police were the authorities whoever you want to call it police FBI mainly the FBI really because the Las Vegas biggest police department don't seem to have really uh, I mean they know a bit but the FBI were re- very much Johnny on the spot, uh, they were right there. If you look at the first um, police department um, LAPD press conference with the sheriff, it was sometime during the night, early hours of the morning, so a few hours after the actual attack. Uh, sheriff Lombardo's sitting there, um, or standing there in the, in the street, <clears throat> not, in, not in the press conference room, and... Uh, giving him basic details at that point he was talking about 20 dead and over 100 injured so it was very early a few hours after and standing right beside him was Mr. Smoking Man uh, from the FBI staring into the back of his head so um, the FBI really were there from the very beginning and basically did a clean up job from, from the start from the get go so then uh, since then they've had well there's been probably eight I'll guess roughly eight press conferences of one type or another since then and they have changed the story three times so we didn't see much point in actually writing anything uh, particularly on um, their story their official story because it wasn't an official story because they were changing it all the time and why write something and then they go and change it and then you have to go and write something else to keep up with their with with their narrative you know so we think that since last Friday which was the last press conference um, they're pretty much that's it, done deal. They've corrected a few things here and there, and um, and, and now they're 
they're more or less good to go. They might re- release a few more details as, as we go forward, but I think that's pretty much it. And that's not saying a lot uh, in terms of what they've actually settled on. Um, because it still doesn't make any sense and there's big holes all over the place, but they seem to have just accepted or they're comfortable with the fact that there's loads of holes and that the media won't bother asking anything about those glaring, gaping gaps or holes or problems with their story that don't make any sense. The media is like, mm, okay, media is just in it for the feels, you know. They just want to talk to people about how, how it feels. How do you feel? Was it, were you scared? You know, uh-huh, I was scared. Oh, great. That's great, great news. You were scared. And how did it make you feel to know that the gunman was just over there? What, what did it feel like inside? I Are you scared. seriously asking that question? <clears throat> yeah, but that's what they're all about, you know. They get you get in at the emotions and try and jerk that emotional chain and then ignore the actual, any critical thought about what actually happened, you know. So, um, yeah. And interesting, in that last press conference, uh, Sheriff Lombardo uh, got his marching orders, if anybody watched it, uh, because he came out on Friday, which was the last press conference, after he'd given six or seven of them. And in the previous ones, he had been, you know, his main problem was that he was volunteering information. He wasn't just responding directly to the question asked by journalists. He would respond to the question, and then he would volunteer some extra information. And at one point, he even said the journalist, a journalist suggested something might be the case based on what he had said. And he said, well, I can't confirm that, but you guys are free to speculate. (laughs) That's how he was behaving in previous (laughs) interviews. That's what I'm saying. In all the previous interviews, that's what he was doing. He was volunteering information, all this kind of stuff. But on Friday, uh, he seemed to have figured out that, uh, or somebody told him that was a bad idea, because on Friday, he came out and said, this one's going to be different. No questions at all. and I'm going to read from the script a narrative. You're going to get the narrative, and then we're going to leave. Um, not only am I not going to answer any of your questions, you're not even allowed to ask any questions. Um, they also bar people from getting into the press conference room, um, particularly Laura Loomer, who's like an alt-right blogger on, on Twitter. You know, she was, She's been at the earlier ones, and so, she was kind of annoying because she was asking real questions. But she wasn't doing herself any favors either. Was she not? Okay, well... I mean, in the sense of the way she was asking them, she was butting in while someone else was asking a question. Well, that's how they used to be. Well, but that hasn't been how it's been. Most people have allowed the person to get their question answered and then someone else puts their hand up or butts in. But she was right in the middle and when he told her, no, listen, wait till I finish answering the other question, she just kept talking. Okay. So, whatever. Anyway, um, so what are we... uh, What are we looking at here? Well... (laughs) Are we going to do this like what we think happened? What, who, how, why? Well, everybody, there's been lots of... Or are we still going to attack, criticize the verse, the version they finally come up with? It's the same thing. Right, okay. Most of the same thing, I think. You can't do one without the other, but... Um, well, I, I'm... Uh, it's, it's clear in my head now after looking at all... Basically, Joe here, we, we, Joe here would look at the room, the Manley Bay. What were they saying there? What kind of happened there? What kind of happened there? I went further up Las Vegas Strip, and I was looking at all the reports from all the other casinos along there, and also around uh, towards the airport. And basically, just just from what I found alone, I'm convinced that this is way bigger than one guy. Um, those those reports about the other casinos having active shooters. I have now got a final tally of 13 other resorts and at least six of them we've got videos for of a stampede happening 
panic, people running all over the place, and or immediately afterwards, there's damage and pandemonium. Plus, they have corroborating uh, evidence from people who were there, and they're now speaking either to the press back home where, where they've returned to, most of them are tourists, or they themselves have put up videos on YouTube or wherever. And, uh, I mean, their stories check out. For example, I mean, there's people across the street from the Bellagio where Rennie Downs was describing the same thing that she's describing from inside that resort. So this isn't a few people who imagined it. Uh, I've also established that this cannot have been people who were panicked by stuff happening a mile away to the south and then subsequently reacting. No, because the people who panicked 45 minutes to an hour and a half later in these other resorts up to 1.5 miles north of the Mandalay Bay had no clue anything had gone down at the Mandalay Bay. They were still on the slot machines, drinking in the bars, up in their rooms. They were clueless. The only ones who had a clue were those who happened to check the news. So they learned, like everyone else, what was happening a mile away. They may as well have been in a different city. They may as well have been on a different planet. This is Vegas. Each resort is like its own little world. It's designed to be that way. You're totally enclosed in that little bubble of reality. So each of those panics at the other resorts were uh, caused by actual gunfire or a very close uh, simulation of it in order to cause a real panic. There, in other words, the people panicking at these other resorts were responding to stimuli right there. There's, this isn't a delayed panic one hour later once, they, once word finally tricks that, trickles up to the other resorts. So right there, for about... Eight or nine of those events, they happen after 11.20 p.m. 11.20 p.m. is the now established time at which they enter the room, Paddock's dead. So somebody else is causing the panics. It's not, it can't be Paddock. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a long short, but it's amazing that we have to say this. And I mean, has anybody heard anything serious from any major mainstream media outlet about those other uh, resorts, other casinos being mm-hmm. having... I mean, I, I, I maybe no. I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, maybe one reference somewhere, but kind of dismissive. But basically, no one is covering that uh, fact. And this is, I mean, it's amazing that you have the media. The media would usually be all over that in any other context. You know, basically, eyewitnesses reports to what happened. But these people, I mean, they're basically on social media only, and the the mainstream media must know because they troll social media all the time and they're on the mainstream media is obviously all over social media themselves with their accounts <clears throat> and they must know that these reports are out there and they're completely ignoring them. Yeah. Why? Simply because the government says, the FBI says, uh, there was there were no other uh, no other active shooter situations in any other resorts. And so how do you do that? Well, I mean, you're a journalist, right? The government who, let's take CNN for example, the government is... Uh, or sorry, the CNN has spent the past, well, since Trump's inauguration, or, and actually before Trump's inauguration, have, have spent uh, a large part of their time and effort in exposing Trump's lies, i.e. government lies, government telling lies, what did this person say, what didn't they say, what did they say to the Russians. They're, they're basically being, CNN has been, as far as Trump and Russia is concerned, has been um, conspiracy central for the past seven months. So they ha- and they have actively, in much of the reporting, not believed a word that 
the president has said and uh, members of his cabinet have said they have actively engaged in conspiratorial uh, thinking and uh, argumentation. Uh, but when it comes to the FBI and the shooting situation, apparently that is all just gone. They've lost their ability to do that. And when I say that... Uh, the same FBI that was in thick of Russiagate and... Right. Exactly. Conspiring against the president. Right. But that's <laughs> so, so, so the FBI is basically on CNN's side. So it's only when the FBI says you can go after this conspiracy, i.e. Trump and Russia, uh, that's, that's when they go full conspiracy nut. Um, when it comes down to clear evidence, or at least circumstantial evidence, of a possible conspiracy uh, where the FBI is covering, covering it up, or neither on the other side, uh, CNN and all the rest of them are completely, again, on the, on the side of the FBI and do whatever they say. I mean, you have a situation here where you have dozens of people, credible witnesses, who all say they were shooting at other casinos, and CNN ignores them, and the mainstream media in general ignores them completely. Why would you do that? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Well, but it's even, it's even the mainstream media. I mean, it's even the alternative media. Like, I, all the websites that I follow that have been covering, um, you know, Mandalay Bay and, you know, alternative theories, I haven't, I don't think I've seen any of them mention the, in any detail, maybe like a passing reference, but I don't think I've seen any of them look into the, all the incidents at the other hotels. Mm-hmm. It's been like, uh, nothing. Yeah. So, um, Based on based on the the evidence, and there's a lot of it's been around for almost well more or less two weeks now. Uh, videos on YouTube, live videos from the scene. Uh, it's pretty clear that uh, there was more than one shooter. Uh, there was more more than likely a shooter on the ground somewhere as well. Uh, many people actually have testified to that. Uh, many uh, concert goers, people who were at the concert, have said there was definitely someone else on the ground shooting us. And people don't make that that stuff up just out of the blue. Um, yeah. That people generally have a reason to think that. I mean, you can say, oh, they were confused because there's bullets coming from yeah. everywhere. Well, not really, because when you run away from the area where the bulk of people were killed uh, and you're maybe like uh, 100 yards from, from your outside of the concert area and you see someone get shot and they were clearly shot from the opposite direction, from the Mandalay Bay, well, then that suggests there's someone else in the ground. And if someone says that, you should investigate it. Yeah. Now, a lot of people said that on the night and that could be, you know, put in brackets and set aside over here because, well, yeah, they've just been in the middle of heavy gunfire. You know, it's understandable they might have been confused and there was pandemonium. They, they, they themselves said, well, I didn't know what direction I was running in, but it mm-hmm. seemed that it was always around me or getting closer, et cetera, et cetera. What, what's most interesting about this are, are the filtered, in quotes, reports that have been made by people who were there afterwards. In other words, they now have the distance of time from the event mm-hmm. and they're giving detailed interviews but really just to, to, to bloggers. They're not giving interviews to the media. But anyway, I found about three of them, and they're very good because they're able to recall a lot of it in detail. Mm. And again, they're reconfirming after having given it. That's what I meant by filter. They've given it some time and some thought, and no, they're sticking with their guns. Mm. As they fled in an easterly direction, which mm. they're confident they were all moving out away from the Mandalay Bay, they heard gunfire as they, they described it, get closer and closer to them. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we've surmised that's probably a kind of a trick of their ear. It wasn't so much that the gunfire was coming to them, but as that they fled east, there was they were encountering, in that encountering another line of fire. Mm-hmm. 
that they were running into and they just didn't right. know it. Or if they did know it, well, then you have a serious panic because mm-hmm. you imagine, you know, your immediate response is to flee from where you think it's coming from. And mm-hmm. everyone, most everyone intuited correctly it was coming from up, up towards Mandalay Bay or somewhere mm-hmm. around there from the west. Mm-hmm. And so they head east. And then they come into gunfire from another side. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can imagine yeah. the terror, but that's also what made it such an effective yeah. so, kill zone as people who went there have themselves described it. Mm-hmm. Um, so other, I mean, something right at the very beginning that's staring everybody in the face is the fact that there are two windows broken. Um, why would someone do that if they were a lone, a, a lone shooter? There's not a lot of distance. Uh, between the two windows, relatively speaking, there's maybe 10 yards or something, maybe 10, 15 yards. Um, from that height and at that distance, 400 yards, that's not going to give you any, a, a single shooter, it's not going to help to have two, two vantage points like that because from either one, you see pretty much the same thing. Uh, <clears throat> so two broken windows strongly suggests two shooters in the room. But well, of course, the fact there's also the fact that the those were two actually two separate rooms. Like right. there was no direct connection between the two rooms well, from inside. You have was, to go out into the hallway no, where there do. was. Yeah, that's a bedroom. Okay, so there was a. Oh, because I I I read that um, um that they were two rooms that can be rented separately. They can. And be, one's like, but they can okay. also be they okay. can also be part of a, a. It can be a single bedroom or two double bedroom suite. So basically. Okay. It has a, it, that second bedroom where the second broken window was uh, along the flat side of the of the building. Um, that was a door from the the main suite into that as a single bedroom or double bedroom, okay. but it's a bedroom. Um, and then it has a do- access door to the hallway. If you only wanted a one bedroom suite, that would become someone else's room, and that door would be locked. You've probably been in hotels where you've seen you've been yeah. in a hotel room where there's a door that's locked that you can't get into in in your room. Right. Um, I've been in one like that. And it's simply that you can they can add that on if you want a bigger room or a double room. You know. Okay. Um, so yeah, but still, it's it's it doesn't make any sense why one person. I mean, you're gonna op- you're gonna secure your vantage point, break the window, and you're gonna shoot from there. You can hit that that that's that, that's your you can see everything you want to see. Why why two windows? Two windows equals two people, logically. Um, other things. So then we have Mr. Uh, Mr. Campos, who hasn't been seen. Or really heard from at all. Of uh, uh, one image of him, or a few images of him, pictures of him came out uh, just in the past few days for the first time, and about you know since it happened. So there was no pictures for ten days of this guy, even though he's been fated as a hero, and the media would have been all over that kind of thing, right? Because there's lots of fields and a hero, right? Uh, not a word didn't come anywhere in the press. No mention of him being being talking to the press or anything until a few uh, last Thursday, when he apparently was in Las Vegas in a you know, in a studio that's rented for, for giving interviews and there were five or six different uh, outlets, media outlets that were there, including Fox News and CNN, I think. Um, and he just, uh, he was there, you know, it's a room and you basically go in and then, you know, he, he goes into the studio in front of the cameras, basically, and then Sean Hannity comes in, does his interview, says thanks very much. Yeah. Campo stays there, Hannity leaves, Next. Somebody from CNN comes in and says, no, this is a CNN interview, and then they basically broadcast that. That's why they do a lot of their interviews when they're not bringing them to their own yeah. studios in, in their central locations. But this guy, uh, Campos, was there, uh, supposedly prepping for the interviews, and then he just up and left. The story as told by this this union for security right. workers. Yeah, that's weird. That, they're the ones who issued the photos the day before, Thursday this week, I think. They 
issue the first ever known photos of this Campos guy. He they're giving it's photos of him getting an award with some of the union guys on his shoulders, on his left and right of him, and he does not look like a guy who's happy, know, happy to be there. Um, so he's getting his award, um, and then it's the union guys who report that he's vanished, yeah, and that they had been with him and they were to drop him off at. The, this place to, to give his interviews. No, he was there. I think the the people he was in the studio in in the waiting room or something. Didn't he claim he had to go? He wasn't feeling well, so they took him to a hospital, and no, then they, he disappeared. That's what they there. said afterwards, right? But they basically that he was escorted. He, he he came with someone once a member of this union of security officers, um, and uh, and then they that him and that other person, at least one other person, then left before he did any interviews, and they don't know anything else. He's gone. Anything else? He's gone. Uh, underground, basically, but it means he's back in his house. In theory, there's a security guard outside his house. Uh, Laura Luma, that you're talking about earlier on, mm-hmm. she went to his house in, in Las Vegas, and the uh, security guard outside wasn't letting anybody on the property at all. And uh, she's been a few times. Yeah. And the thing that strikes you about it is there's no other press there. Right. Apparently, they were there. Apparently, they have been there after yeah. the shooting. But they're told they're, they've basically been told no, no, and go and, away. And then they just don't bother. They don't bother. Yeah. But, Someone else. I have, someone I have a else. If Paddock's dead and Paddock's the only one who did this, all of it, why does Campos need a security guard, armed security, outside his house for oh, yeah. four hours a day? Of course, he's been keeping the press away. Well, he's obviously been silent. He do, either he doesn't want. Well, it's not that he's been silent. He doesn't want to talk, or someone has told him he shouldn't talk. Um, <clears throat> the order's been passed down. He shouldn't talk, or he doesn't want to talk because. I mean, there's only a few possible reasons, right, why this guy would not want to talk, who would turn up for interviews and then leave again. He's having a problem about whether or not he wants to say anything to the press. And, of course, if you tie that to this shifting narrative, this shifting official narrative that has him at the center of it, really, in terms of what happened in the room, when the shooting started, when they found out where he was, when the shooting ended, why the shooting ended, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Campus is central to that, and that's been shifting left and right. Uh, three times so far in terms of the timing and what happened when he arrived at campus at the room. And uh, the, a reasonable conclusion will be that the official story that has been given out does not jive with what campus himself knows actually happened. So he's in the position now of, well, do I go on national TV and just lie through my teeth? Uh, or do... do or, or do I tell the truth? And if I tell the truth, that's going to be it's going to cause some serious problems, right? So I mean, you can imagine if that's the case, the guy's in a, in a difficult position. So, but all we know is that more or less there's like an effectively a gag order, either self-imposed or imposed from someone else on them, including his whole family, because nobody you know can't talk to any of his family uh, at all either. So, um, <clears throat> this is serious. Pro- I mean, all of this. Can you imagine if you're a proper, real, honest journalist? If any of them exist, um, and you he- <clears throat> you hear this, you get these details that we've been discussing. Uh, can you imagine just ignoring it? Can anybody imagine imagine not bringing it up as a major story? Uh, um, so the story with Campos is that what looks to be the case is that he um, he is a new recruit to the. Security business. That's apparently, probably apparently from June, right? That's probably why he hasn't done much work. He isn't on. He's not a regular. 
he doesn't know the ropes well that well. Let's say he's not a he's not a veteran security or hasn't been. There's, there's security security guys um, in uh, in Las Vegas who have been doing security around those hotels for 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 years. You know, they're probably ex cops, no? Right, in various different yeah. of different stripes. Yeah, and uh, and he's he's a newbie, and maybe simply through. But by chance, assuming the story is true, and this is the problem, we can't we can't know if it's true because their story has changed so many times. We can't actually know if what the uh, the FBI and the Las Vegas police are telling us is actually true. But um, let's assume that it's true. What they have said now is is true. Uh, we'll just go through quickly what they originally said. What they originally said was that you probably know this already, but um, campus arrives up on the 32nd floor because of a... First of all, it was he was just on normal rounds. Then it was... Uh, there was a door alarm. Uh, whatever that means. A door alarm, that's all they say. A door alarm. Some door was... There was The alarm was going off for some reason. This is how little detail they give and how little the media actually asks uh, in terms of pertinent questions. So he's up on the sec- 32nd floor and he just happens to walk uh, down to this... Uh, down the corridor towards the room where Paddock was, and he gets shot. And this well, and was, the, and, and the door was ajar. That was the first. That's the first one. That's right. The door was ajar. Yeah. But then they didn't know if that was the room. If that was Paddock's room was ajar. But I think, I think no. In yeah. the first stories, they said it was Paddock's right. room. Lombardo said it was Paddock's room yeah. was open. Uh, then they changed it a bit and said no, it was some other door that was ajar. But anyway, mm-hmm. Campus is up there walking down the corridor. He gets close to uh, to Paddock's room and two. Well over 200 bullets come through the door. One of them grazes him, maybe strikes him in a fleshy part of his leg or something. He gets hit once with 200 over 200 bullets. And that's another part of it. I mean, we can. I'll, I'll just throw that in now. You imagine you're in a room and you see a security guard coming down the hallway. Thanks to the cameras you've placed. Thanks to the cameras you've placed there. He fired 200 bullets. One guy, Paddock, 200 bullets. Now, he did seem to have in the room 100 uh, round magazines. But that still means that he had to reload twice. So he empties a magazine, that magazine which takes about uh, 7 or 8 seconds on full auto with a bump stock. So he's firing for 8 seconds through the door at one guy down the hallway. He empties after 8 seconds a full automatic fire, more or less. Then he loads another 100-round magazine. He empties that another eight seconds. And then he puts another one in and fires an unspecified number of bullets out. Would you do that? Who would do that? Well, they do it in Hollywood. Yeah, but would you do that just, just to scare off one guy? And surely you would have filled him full of holes. What are you shooting at? If he's, is he, if he's there, he's full of holes. I mean, this is a relatively small corridor. And you're firing well over 200, 200 rounds on full automatic fire, three times the speed of sound, through the door. Down a hallway. He's the only one in the hallway. And you you just get him in the leg once. And he managed to escape. Does that sound reasonable? Go ahead. He's the first one at first, but then... um, Right. That was the the first story. There was no other mention of anybody else. That was a a 10-15. And then, so he was a hero because he was credited... With stopping being the cause of the stopping of the shooting, paddock shooting, paddock's allegedly paddock shooting, um, because the guy, the person in the room, paddock saw him, shot two hundred and fifty bullets or something out the door at ten fifteen, and that was the last time he he didn't go back into shooting at the crowd. So Campus was a hero. Um, 
let's just leave it there. There's more obviously after that when the SWAT team and stuff came. But then, so they change it then and say, no, actually what happened was Paddock, or sorry, Campos came up to the 32nd floor because, uh, again, a door alarm. But in this case, it was that the stairwell door right beside Paddock's suite room at the end of the hallway uh, had been sealed shut. Uh, in fact, he's not coming down the hallway. He's come up the stairwell. He tries to get through that door beside Paddock's room, which is a stairwell door. It's screwed shut from the other side. He goes upstairs, comes down the elevators to get onto the 32nd floor that way. As he's walking along, he's already contacted the maintenance guy to come and sort this door out. And as he's walking along, then he's shot at through the door. Again, 250 bullets. Uh, this is at 9.59. So they shifted back 16 minutes. Campus is no longer a hero. Because this happens at 9.59. Campus gets shot. Six minutes uh, transpire. Then the shooter starts shooting at 10.05 and shoots for 10 minutes. He wasn't scared by Campus at all. He wasn't scared by the fact that there was a guy outside or they had to shoot him. So Campus is like, Jesus, Campus, you're an anti-hero now. I mean, couldn't you have done something? So he had a real fall from grace there for the poor guy, you know? Uh, and, and then the second narrative now has the, after Campus is shot, the maintenance guy comes up because he's had the call to come and look at the door that's been screwed shut. And uh, he he gets fired at as well. And he takes cover. Mm-hmm. And then... And he's, the th- and he's been interviewed. On he's TV, been interviewed. And then the third iteration is that, okay, we're going to stick with 9.59 when campus arrives to look at the door and calls the maintenance guy, and he comes up. But the difference now is that, um, no, yes, the, sec- sorry, the second iteration was he just came up in, on, into the hallway. The third one was they had kept the same timing but put campus at the stairwell door and up had to go had to go back up the stairs up to the thirty third floor let's say down the elevators and back into the thirty thirty second floor so they, they, in the third iteration they didn't change the nine fifty nine timeline but they changed what Campos did actually he didn't just come straight up the elevator he actually came up through the through the tried to get through the stairwell door um and then obviously what what hasn't really changed since after that is that uh, the same has been all the way through is that um well it changed in terms of the timeline, but basically Campos, because he got shot in the leg, he calls down security downstairs, says, I've been shot in the leg, there's a guy who's fired 250 bullets through the door, maybe we should do something about this. Maybe this is a problem. Uh, presumably, the casino, <clears throat> Mandalay Bay security, immediately call the cops, and the cops arrive. If that happened at 10.15, the cops arrived at 10.17 by the first timeline, two minutes later. They were already in the hotel, they get up two minutes later after they hear Campos has been shot. Um, in the new timeline, 9.59, um, they arrive uh, at, again at, 10, at about 10.15 or 10.16 after the shooting has finished. The whole thing is just... At what point is Campos here drilling? What version is that? <laughs> Campos here is drilling. I think that, hasn't, that was only said once, but it hasn't been retracted. Uh, so we assume that as he was walking down towards Paddock's room, he hears drilling. No reporter asked when Lombardo said that there was a sound of drilling in the room. That's also what alerted him to something going on. 
apart from the 250 bullets, but he was initially alerted to, hmm, drilling from a room. That doesn't sound right. We don't know what kind of drilling, let's say. It could have been a jackhammer or something, uh, you know, something pretty heavy-duty. Um, in fact, I suspect it was a jackhammer, as I'll explain later. But, um, so, um, that hasn't changed, but Lombardo says he heard some kind of drilling coming from the room, and no journalist said, asked the obvious question, which, which would have been, oh, that's interesting, did you find any power tools in the room? If so, what were they? Nobody asked that. Just this little... Well, but, <laughs> uh, so, they, they go may ahead. not have asked, but the police officers that were in, in the breach described it in the CBS 60 Minutes interview. Did you guys watch that? Yeah. Yeah, so the one of the guys said that when they came in, they saw all kinds of like power tools. And so he said, uh, he only specified um, by saying that there were drills and like and drill bits and, like, and multiple right. drills. Right. So he said he didn't know what this guy was using these for, but that's just what he observed. Right. Well, the connect, the plausible explanation for that is that if you look at our slideshow uh, on this on the show here, uh, there's a diagram of uh, Paddock's room, or the room the Paddock was in, let's say. Um, and in one of the press conferences, Lombardo says, uh, he's asked by a journalist, did you see any sign of uh, that the shooter intended to survive this, that he intended to escape. And Lombardo says, yes. And the journalist says, can you tell us what it is? What, what did you find? What's the evidence for that? And Lombardo says, can't tell you. Next question. Um, the most plausible explanation for that, when you put it together with the drilling inside and the power tools inside the room, is that if you look, as looking from the inside of the... Uh, if you're inside the room, uh, and, and actually Lombardo said that, actually gave a little bit of details about the drilling. He said that he was drilling into the wall adjacent to the door. The wall to the right of the door looking from the inside, if you drilled a hole in that wall uh, with a jackhammer, basically if you broke through that wall, you'd be directly into the stairwell. Uh-huh. Which means that this is what probably, when what they haven't said, this is what Paddock could, or sorry, Lombardo couldn't tell people the evidence for his plan to escape, or his intent to escape, was that there was a big wall. gaping hole in the wall that led directly into the stairwell. Which was shut from the, from the corridor. Which had been screwed, screwed shut from, from the corridors, uh, from the, no, from the, from the other side. So no one could get up mm-hmm. in that way. Maybe it was locked from both sides. They weren't very okay. clear on that, but it seems that well, you no, couldn't well, get through. Go ahead. Yeah. Again, one of the one of the police officers, I think it was the same officer, one of the in the canine unit, had said that when they got up there, they saw that the door had been uh, jammed shut, and he said that they there had been a, a metal bar, like I guess like a you know a thin metal, um, um, you know almost like sheet metal but thicker, that was screwed into the door and the door jam. Right. And so he said when they got up there, the SWAT there was one SWAT member with them, and he had his a crowbar on him, and he just easily you know could crowbarred it off. Right. So it was from the outside. So from the hallway, it was it was jammed. From from the other side, from the stairs. No, from from the from the side um, that would be accessible from the hallway. So anyone traveling in the stairs wouldn't be able to open the door, um, and then anyone on the outside would have to take off the um, the the obstacle. So, are you saying from both sides? No, no. Um, only, if you're walking through, if you're walking down the corridor, can you open the door to get into the stairwell? Only if you, 
No, but you'd have to remove the metal. The no, metal, so you can't. So, the metal okay. was attached from there. Right, right so it's screwed on. So get from, right, screwed on. On the other side? He didn't say if there was anything on the other side, inside the right. stairwell. Right, but that um, suggests that you would not. That presumes that, that's presumably then it was, it was locked from both sides. Right, yeah. If somebody just came along and tried to open that door from either side, they wouldn't be able to do it. Right. We can presume that. Um, yeah. So basically what they found when they went into that room was a gaping hole adjacent to the door that led directly into the stairwell. That was the evidence for Paddock having a plan to escape and to survive this, which kind of perplexes the authorities to the extent that they're perplexed because they're covering everything up. Perplexes them in how to explain it to the, to the public, let's say, because they're not going to. Um, that that was, uh, the question then is, if Paddock had done that, why did he decide to shoot himself? Because just, he, he, had, he had broken a hole in the wall. He had immediate access. He didn't have to come out through the doorway where the police were gathered. He could have just escaped down the, down through that hole and into the stairwell and down and onto another floor, whatever. He didn't do it. He killed himself. Very strange. Um, so that probably explains the the drilling on the inside. Um, and Campos, is he is he unwitting in all of this completely? Well, who knows, right? Because, um, well, go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say it's, it's interesting that he's a newbie and that mm-hmm. he appears in, in the scene. Maybe he he didn't get the memo of, you know, I don't know what, what, what it could be, but it's strange that he, he, he um, he's a new guy who isn't listed as a security guard, etc. He, he maybe he joined recently in June, let's say, that's, that's what they're saying, and that he, you know, didn't know the drill type of thing. And maybe the drill is... The drill was that night that um, security guards <laughs> stay away from the 32nd floor or somebody, you know, he didn't get the memo, basically. They were all directed somewhere else because you'd think there'd be more than one security guard in the Mandalay Bay, right? Um, but maybe it only takes one to go up to the room. But why didn't a bunch more of them come? The only other person came was the person that the maintenance guy that, that uh, Campos had actually called because of the door. Because there's no reports of anybody else and the other security guards uh, from the Mandalay Bay, com- Mandalay Bay coming up that room. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, the hypothesis here, obviously, is, is that um, there were two shooters in the room because there were two windows broken, um, and they escaped through the hole in the wall down the stairwell and left Paddock as the patsy. As everybody's saying, as the police are saying, uh, Paddock does not fit the profile of um, someone who do this. But he does fit the profile of a fall guy, of a patsy. Is what we know of his psychological profile, his loner kind of nature and highly intelligent, a bit, a bit, highly intelligent, a bit, um, a bit uh, kind of unstable, emotionally, a bit emotionally unstable, you know. Um, and uh, on, on medication, for anxiety, etc., you know, he certainly fits the profile for you know of uh, uh, of, of kind of patsy type people who could have their heads messed, messed with and be be framed for something like this, you know. Um, he probably met a lot of high rollers similar to him, and or just high rollers from God knows what else, what other kind of business goes on in Vegas over the years. So he could have been. Um, made acquaintance with certain people at any time, really. 
he's meeting some VIPs, no doubt, in Vegas throughout his gambling career. Even just in his real estate business, he travels all over the U.S. He's uh, on cruise ships all over the world. Mm-hmm. The other thing, plenty that, of opportunities to rope him in. Yeah, the other thing that still holds is that um, Campos gets shot uh, at nine fifty-nine thereabouts, and he um, through the door. He takes cover. Maintenance guy arrives shortly thereafter, a minute or two. Shots are fired at him. He takes cover. Uh, police arrive. Um, the police. There was a police report that's um, within the ten minutes of the shooting. I think, at least, if it's if it's chronologically chronologically correct on the uh, scanner audio that's been published, there is a cop saying, "I'm on the thirty second floor." Right. About. Anything between five and ten minutes after the shooting starts. It's very difficult to narrow it down because they've been so confusing about their about their narrative. Basically, eight cops end up on the floor. Um, at basically the the last narrative is that it's it takes them Paddock or sorry, Campos gets shot at nine fifty nine, and he calls down. Police take uh, roughly sixteen minutes to get there. Police arrive just as the shooting stops. Or around ten fifteen when the shooting has stopped, so it takes them sixteen minutes to get up there uh, after they've been told that there's a shooter shooting through the door up here, and uh, Campus is still waiting around sixteen minutes later, and then he continues to help the cops. Now here the, the other thing is that the police arrive. Uh, maybe they they don't say maybe they heard the shooting shooting going on from the room, um, maybe they didn't that it stopped by that point, but they're there shortly after, just as it's finishing at ten fifteen, or shortly thereafter ten sixteen, ten seventeen. Um, and what they do in that situation is that they know that there's been shooting going on. They know that from from campus that the guy fired an automatic weapon through the door. They highly suspect at this point that they're pretty much convinced that that's where the main shooting was coming from at the concert. And eight cops are on the floor, and what they decide to do uh, for the next hour is just hang around and evacuate the other rooms. Uh, The narrative given by Lombardo is that they did that because they couldn't hear any more shooting. They figured, meh, should be alright. I'm not sure if that's police protocol or if that's even normal human being protocol type thing, especially if you're you're a police officer who's tasked with, you know, uh, dealing with these situations. But, um... uh, it seems a bit of an assumption to just sit there knowing that there was a guy firing from, or two people firing from this room at the concert course and had just killed dozens of people on the ground, that just because he had stopped firing, uh, that that meant he wasn't going to fire anymore. They had no reason to believe that he uh, was was dead. That he, They had every reason to believe that he was still in the room. And they made no effort to neutralize him. In fact, it took, as we mentioned, from the time of the stopping of the shooting at 10.15, took an hour and five minutes for a SWAT team to arrive. In Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas Police Department, there's about 2,600 cops. If you look at uh, um, the, if you look, if you look at that area, Clark County, there's 2,600. It's Las Vegas and Clark County. If you look at Clark County, uh, so there's 2,600 cops uh, there, and um, that includes... X number of SWAT team members. 
Um, there's not much outside of Las Vegas. There's small little podunk towns. That's about it. So the vast majority of those cops are actually concentrated, and including SWAT officers, are concentrated in Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas area. Um, but it took them an hour and five minutes to get a SWAT team up there. And in fact, those four guys that you mentioned that were interviewed, Harrison, they mm-hmm. ended up being the SWAT team. And as it stated yep. in that interview, they're not actually a SWAT team at all. It's one member of SWAT, one K9, K9 guy, two K9s, two K9s and one other just uh, a detective. Com- common or garden detective. And they made an ad hoc team that they were the ones who breached the door an hour and five minutes later. So even an hour and five minutes later, they couldn't actually get a proper SWAT team up to the only place that there was shooting coming from. Where the shooter was still assumed to be active. Why do they assume? It was, why do we say they assumed it was still a, an issue? Well, okay, he hadn't been firing for an hour and fifty, hour and five minutes. You, you would assume that uh, something that, that there wasn't going to be anymore. But they still blew the door open and probably threw a flashbang in and kind of ran in and blew the other door open. You know, at an hour and five minutes later, they still assumed that there was a that there might have been a threat inside. Yeah, yeah. and but you, you well, can hear them telling each other to be careful because it could be booby trap. Right. Yeah. Well, and even one of the guys, I think it was the detective, had said that when he got into the room, um, you know, they're all, they've all got their guns up, right? They're treating this as if the guy's still alive. They right. see Stephen Paddock, and first, you know, one of their first impressions is, well, I didn't expect to see that. They were expecting to see some young, you know, young uh, guy in, you know, military fatigues, and they see this middle-aged guy just dressed in casual clothes. But the one guy, the detective, says he, like, emotionally, he was thinking that there were, like, 20 more guys in there. So he was, like... Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's just that's just the state that he was in, right? He was, uh, you know, he was going in on, on like hunt mode, right? So yeah, was well, Vegas that. sounded like a war zone, right? So and then they didn't find anyone else, but uh, right, they blew, but, blew know, up. That, that whole time, yeah, but that whole time going up, you know, they they were they didn't know what to expect, and you know, I the one thing that that um, that confuses me is the the hour. But I can understand them taking a while to get there. Like, if there's no shooting, you're not sure if he's, like, right at the door looking at you. You want to approach carefully, right? And then no, when you get there... But you know what the thing is? Cops love throwing themselves in the no, no, fire. The, no, the thi- no, the thing is, you can understand them trying to, you know, keep themselves safe and not get shot. But the thing is, the thing that precipitated this whole situation, why there were any cops on that floor at all, was because of Campos. And the reason... Campus was up there, and what Campus discovered at 9.59 was that the stairwell door adjacent to the shooter's room was locked. Which means that, uh, surely cops come in, they, they're asked about the hotel, where, okay, so it's up on the 32nd floor, it's room 135, have you got a, pl- what's, what's the situation up there? Well, it's at the end of a hallway, it's double doors at the end of a hallway, it's a suite. Okay, so how do you get to it? Well, you can walk down the hallway, or there's adjacent doors right to the left of it that no one can shoot you from because they're 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 right beside you know you, you can't actually shoot you can only shoot down the hallway mm. that's the place the cop the, the SWAT team should have or would have come from because it gives you direct access to the shooter's door without being in a line of fire and that's what Campos alerted everybody to at 9:59 and this is, remember, this is the only place that the shooting is coming from, according to the official narrative. So all the cops in Las Vegas, once the shooting had stopped at 10.15, should have converged, including all the SWAT teams, should have converged on room 135 on the second, 32nd floor. Right? Because there were no shots coming from anywhere else. But it took them an hour and five minutes to find 
They couldn't even find a SWAT team after an hour and five minutes to come up that stairwell and kick down that door, blow open that door and go in with their bulletproof shields. They didn't even do that at that, at that point in time because they had two canine guys, an ordinary cop and one SWAT team member. How do you explain that? It's very suspicious. It strongly suggests um, some kind of stand-down order. Um, what are they? Uh, seriously, what are they doing? Oper- operational involvement on the part of... 10.15. 10, from 10.05 to 10.15, there's boom, 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 boom coming out of the Mandalay Bay, out of those two windows. At 10.15, it stops. At 10.20, there's been five minutes with no gunfire. At 10.25, there's 10 minutes with no gunfire. What are all the cops doing on the ground? All the ambulances there, all the EMT is there. They're taking care of people. What are the cops doing? They're thinking, well, okay, there was 10 minutes of shooting from that hotel room and nowhere else. Let's get everybody up there and make sure that guy doesn't start shooting again. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, if that's the only place the shooting has been coming from, let's get into the hotel because that's the safest place. Because you can't shoot you inside the hotel, right? Get all the cops in there, get them all up under the floor, or whoever you want to get up under the floor, and access that room from the stairwell adjacent to the door. And get into that room and make sure he doesn't start shooting anymore. Didn't do it for an hour and five minutes. And the media says nothing about it. And the other thing is that Campos and eight cops are on that floor from about 10.15 or maybe a little bit beforehand. And the, the other thing that still holds from Lombardo's press conference is that we don't know, no one knows who shot Stephen Paddock. And anybody who's listening to this, who has any doubts about this, look it up for yourself. No one knows who shot Stephen Paddock. What is, there's, there's strong evidence to believe that he didn't shoot himself because there were eight cops and two security guards on that floor from the time in, that, that shooting was going on. And they stayed there until the, they breached the room. And not one of those officers heard another shot fired. Mm-hmm. And Lombardo admitted that as much. Because he said, when he was asked, do we know when Paddock shot himself? He said, no, we don't know. We're assuming at this point that it may have just so happened to coincide with the moment that we blew the door open at 11.20. That because of the noise of the boom of opening the door, Paddock chose that exact moment to fire a gun. And the noise of his gun was masked by the the boom that blew open the door. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, there were no other shots. So how's that? Any conspiracy theories out there? There's a good one for you. Go for it. If you like believing in conspiracy theories, there's a really good conspiracy theory. That Paddock chose the exact moment, not knowing when it was going to happen. So it wasn't even that he co- he consciously chose that moment because he could not have known when that explosive was going to go, blow that door off. Yeah. It was pure chance. Somebody, any mathematicians give me a probability of that, of him picking the exact moment, not knowing when it was going to happen, to pull the trigger in his gun as the blo- explosive blew off the door. And who's got, what kind, what kind of a, what kind of a brain dead person do you have to be to not see serious problems with this story? You're either ignorant or there's something wrong with your brain. Right. The only other possibility if he, if he had killed himself would be that he killed himself like within the minute of after he stopped shooting. Which doesn't make any sense. No, like, you'd still hear another shot. Well, um, they had to put the gun down, right? <clears throat> had to pick up another right, gun. Well, I mean, well, I mean, if if he's shooting several, you know, automatic gunfire 
or you know shots and then a couple seconds later there's one more shot um you know from inside the hotel i don't think you'd yeah but it's not i don't think there was anyone there to hear that well well there was somebody on the floor oh well there was somebody on the floor and his and his the room the the door of his room was like a swiss cheese because 250 bullets had been fired through it yeah, so, so it may as well have been open. Least, yeah, at the very least, Campos and maybe even uh, Stephen Shuck, if he was still there, right, the mechanic probably guy. would have been able to, to distinguish that that one one additional shot. Right, and it would have been very different. But they, but they didn't. It would have been very different. Do you know why? Because he shot himself inside the room, and yeah. and also it was a very different gun, because the gun that mm-hmm. you see in the picture of 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 the of the of the scene is a is a is a handgun, a pistol, mm-hmm. and. The gun that was firing was clearly, as we've said in the previous show and written, is clearly a belt-fed automatic military-style weapon based on the sound of it and the speed of the uh, and the, the rounds per minute that are coming from it. It's clearly an M240 type machine gun. That can be an M60. But, and these are military weapons. Very hard to get on your own. And there are other, other types of weapons that aren't exactly, not an MP40, there's an M60, there's a, I can't remember, SX something or other. And there's new versions of them that are that are kind of smaller. I mean, they're quite big guns, but the, the standard one is four feet long. And it's belt-fed, but you can get ones that are about three, three and a half feet long that are that they've been shortened specifically on, on order uh, from, from the, uh, for the military mm. to make them easier. They're lighter, a couple of kilos lighter, uh, so they're easier to hold. But that gun that was firing from those, both of those, well, one, at least one of those windows, possibly both, were belt-fed automatic, automatic military machine guns. And they weren't there when they breached the room, so... Who says they weren't? Well, that's... With what, all that's the bullshit that these people have been feeding us, yeah. there could have been two of them in the corner and they wouldn't have said a word. Why? Because how, how do you explain how Paddock gets one of those? This gambler who goes around mathematically kind of... Uh, calculating which calculating, cards to play. Calculating yeah. which cards to play. He's going to pick up a military cell gun. These are like 12 kilo, 23 pound guns, 20 pound guns that are belt fed with big rolls of, of, of ammo and they're hard to fire for an amateur. And that's what Paddock was. Yeah. You know, we're just presenting the facts of the case here and this is amazing that we have to do this and the mainstream media is completely absent in these elementary questions. And an exposure of the holes, the giant holes in the story. I was just like, what? And on top of all, you have you have the the man, the man of the moment, Jesus Campos, has gone to ground, doesn't want to talk to anybody, and no one thinks there's something wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just going to go down history as Paddock shot all those people. It has already. Fuck, Jesus. They think. They hope. Uh, speaking of evidence and cooking the crime scene, there's been a burglary already. Maybe this happened before last week's show, but one of um, one of Paddock's houses, the one in Reno, Nevada, was broken into. Mm. <laughs> and the report said, yeah, they broke in the front door, um, but the police say it's cool. It, the place has been resecured. They don't appear to have taken anything. Next. <laughs> the crime scene of the worst mass shooter in all of your history. And that's all you have to say about it. Obviously, 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 someone broke in, but it broke in, in quotes. They had a key, and they just went in and... Right, there was no forced door. They didn't break through the door. Someone no. someone got in yeah, and, and didn't take anything inside either. Was looking. There was nothing disturbed in the house. Someone went into the house without breaking in or breaking any, breaking any window or breaking any doors, 
didn't take anything and left again. And all they knew was the door was open. Or no, someone saw a light on at night. Yep. A neighbor saw a light on at night. That's how they knew someone was in there. So they called it a break-in. Well, someone went in. Someone who had, someone who had uh, the keys to Stephen Paddock's house went into his house looking for something and took something from somewhere. So an hour and ten minutes is plenty of time for anyone to arrange the room as they wish and to escape. Right. And to minimize or at least ideally leave no traces of their, their presence in the room. Or if they were so cocky, um, they didn't care and they left plenty of traces and uh, right. the FBI is mopping up behind them to make sure that... Absolutely. They, all, all they had to do was get out of there. The only thing the right. people who were shoot the two shooters in that room, all they had to do was uh, more or less set it up to make it. I mean, they didn't really. I mean, they put all those guns in there for some ridiculous reason. Maybe pa- I don't think even think Paddock took those up there. They probably took them up there. Paddock had some idea in his head. Was told some BS story about what was going on for some deranged reason. He was up there. I don't know what it was. Some fantasy story that he was told by these people that had been in contact with him and had been basically grooming him for months, probably. And he, they, they sold him a, a story to get him into that room, to get him a book into that room for a number of days. And, um, and, and they set it up whatever way they wanted. And the only thing that was important was that he was dead and that the people in the concert were dead and there was nobody else seen. You know who else has gone all conspiracy theory on this? MGM Resorts. Well, a bit, yeah. A bit. Mm. They don't. They put out a press statement saying they have disagreements with the official version thus far. They, 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 well, the thing is, what's interesting is that Paddock, or sorry, Campos, backed out of those interviews just uh, on the same day, I think, or just before MGM came out and said that they didn't like, they didn't agree with the second timeline. This is an interesting thing. They didn't agree with the with the adjusted timeline of nine fifty nine. Mm-hmm. And their problem was, I think that uh, it made them look bad. I think they were just con- they're just concerned about money and, and people suing them, basically. Uh, not so much that it was the nine fifty nine timeline, but that that put it meant that uh, Campus was up there as hotel security, i.e., responsible for alerting the hotel. He, he's basically representing the hotel. He gets up nine fifty nine, and um, police don't arrive for sixteen minutes which leaves open the possibility or the, or the, the allegation that mm-hmm. Campos told people in the hotel that he had been shot at 9.59 mm-hmm. and the hotel did not act on it and did not tell police in time and therefore police didn't right. get up until 10.15 after the shooting was had just finished. Right. That's why they didn't like that timeline. Mm-hmm. So, and there is And there is even uh, like corroborating evidence that that Stephen Shook, the the maintenance guy, did inform um, the, right. the hotel security of what was going on, and they even released the audio of it. Um, and he's telling them what's going on, and you hear gunshots in the background while right. it's happening. Right. So, of course, it, just with that clip, um, you can place that anywhere. If it was at nine fifty nine, that was then. Right then, they would have. They should have had time. They should have notified the cops right away. And, and then, then the implication is that maybe they didn't. And that was that was the interesting thing. So you had the first official timeline of ten uh, ten fifteen. Campus arriving at ten fifteen, just as the shooting ended, and distracting the shooter and getting shot at ten fifteen. Then they changed it to nine fifty nine in the second iteration. 
uh, and said that Campos got shot at 9.59. That was the second one. That's when MGM said, "Uh uh-uh, no, we don't agree with that because of what I just said, because it leaves 16 minutes before the cops get there at 10.15, which means it implicates MGM possibly in not informing the police in time. So then the third change wasn't a change in that timeline, but it was a deal struck with between the cops of the FBI and MGM to say that, okay, Campos wasn't shot at 9.59. He came up to that door or to the area at 9.59. He found the door uh, to the stairwell locked. So he had to get access. This is the final official story. He must have come up the stairwell and found that he couldn't get into that uh, corridor outside the room on floor floor, uh, 32nd floor. So he had to go up the stairs or down the stairs to another floor, walk along, get into the elevator, come up the elevator further back down the hallway and come into the hallway that way. And then as he's walking close, walking up towards this door that he couldn't get at from the stairwell side, then he shot at 10.05. Mm-hmm. So he shot at 10.05, he runs away, down the hallway, hides, security man comes, or maintenance boy comes, he says he had a few shots fired at him, and then the shooting begins. So that gives six minutes. They basically negotiated six minutes of when Campos between uh, when Campos originally got shot at 9.59 to now he got shot at 10.05, which means there's six minutes there, which allows for the police arriving nine minutes later, which allows for, it's reasonable that then Campos gets shot at 10.05, he tells the security downstairs, security informs the police, then the police arrive. So everybody's clean in that sense, right? Because it's six minutes, take six minutes off the 16 delay, it's only 10 minutes, it works for everybody. MGM informed the police. The police took 10 minutes. That's the reason. But they just arrived too late at 10.15 and then hung around the floor for an hour and five minutes until they broke into the room. There's some, there was some deal going on there and it was, it was totally cynical. What MGM was doing was so totally cynical was just to avoid um, claims, insurance claims. Lawsuits, yeah. They, well, they've already been hit with another one. Um, the mother of one of the victims is uh, she's not suing directly. I think she's suing for an injunction to stop MGM from destroying any evidence they have of what the hell went down in Vegas that night, and specifically cited with the security cameras. You see, this is this this hasn't even... No one's said a peep about this mm-hmm. yet in the media. Vegas, corridors, streets, everything is riddled. Car parks, it's just lined with cameras. Top quality cameras. They want, you know, they want to see everything. Well, everything that happens in Vegas, not so much because they want the whole world to know what happened, but they want to know exactly what happens so that they have that over whoever's involved in whatever infraction in Vegas. And so they can probably hush it up all, all the better. But here, I mean, this is a, uh, that, that, that woman's onto something. She's like, you know, sharp, you know, yeah. she's at least putting up a legal effort. It won't make a difference. It'll all, it'll all be filed away under national security or something. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, we can't, we can't show you any of this. Yeah. But those cameras tell a tale. Yeah. For sure. Now you're not going to see one single item, you know, uh, of, of video footage of a paddock during those days. From the 25th to the 1st for six days, you're not going to see his car leaving, uh, which they have video of, of the garage, his car leaving. You're going to see him going up in the room. You're not going to see any of it. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, go ahead. There's a just to come back to Campos for for a minute um, and Paddock. There are if we want to go into some like speculation mode, um, the same site that has been covering like Laura Loomer's stuff got news um, pretty soon after the. Well, first I should give a disclaimer about Got News. It's one of those kind of uh, like alt-right sites. Um, around w- during the when pretty soon after Trump was inaugurated, they were kind of um, patting themselves on the back because apparently there was uh, a report that Trump reads Got News or something like that, and uh, you know he gets their articles printed out for him, um, you know, to be read every day or something like that. Um, but they're kind of alt-right. They're run by a guy I can't remember his name who is kind of um, known in the mainstream media and among like the liberal elite as just an internet troll, but he's kind of like an alt-right kind of guy. So, I mean, they're, uh, they're kind of controversial in that sense, but very soon after the attack, the massacre, one of the first stories that they said, um, was that they have, you know, an inside source. So, you know, take it for what it's worth that Campos, um, well, that there were people in law enforcement that were suspicious of Campos because they say that he, that they found um, a lot of gunpowder residue on his hands. Now, I think it was the the ATF that they said that they had a source for. I can't remember for sure. And then, but then the ATF d- denied that. Um, so just you know, one little thing there. And then I think just a couple things we've kind of just breezed by, but haven't really gotten to detail. Um, we can maybe look at Campos. Um, like he he isn't registered with one of the registries that uh, apparently all security guards have to have to register for in Las Vegas. Maybe it's just because he's such a new recruit a few months, you know, just a few months old. Right. Um, but you'd, you'd think that, that, you know, he'd be registered. Then again, Laura Loomer, she got um, from an employee at the, at the Mandalay Bay, um, a screenshot of the internal um, employer or employee kind of listing. And there's no uh, Jesus Campos listed. Now, either so there are several possibilities there, and I don't think anyone has come forward to clarify what what it is. It could be that he was never listed for some reason, that they took him out of the system, um, you know, that he quit, or maybe you know, and I don't know if if this would be plausible or not. Maybe you know they outsource their security, and so the security guards aren't listed as Mandalay Bay employees. I don't know, but another weird thing, and. Um, I think there was one other. Oh no! So that's kind of all the all the things on Campos. Yeah. Now with Paddock, um, um, there's just one interesting little bit of speculation. And again, this comes. I think I can't remember if it was Got News or another one of the kind of right wing websites had said that they again they have an inside source in law enforcement. So again, uh, take it with a grain of salt. That there is speculation that Campo or that Paddock was a. Uh, Kind of like a, um, how to put it, an arms dealer of some sort, kind of um, um, underground, like black market, but working for law enforcement. So basically, like he might have been a guy to to set up like arms deals, like shady arms deals, to in a sting operation or something like that. Now, again, there's no no information to back that up, no other sources. However, one thing that the that this website had quoted, um, you know, as possible support was the one of the interviews with. Paddock's brother, Eric, where in one of his kind of like meandering, um, you know, statements that goes off in another direction, he, he says, oh, well, you know, Stephen was an R. Oh, you know, forget about that. Uh, I was going to say something that might be insulting to the armed forces. 
uh, and then he just goes off in a different direction. Mm. So, so oh, but he was going to say, oh, well, you know what? He's an R. And then he catches himself. Like he was going to say something that was almost like army or armed or arms or, but uh, was, you know, again, was, it's totally speculative. So who knows? Was his father, uh, Paddock's father, ever a soldier? Or ever in the military, mm. you know, his background? I don't, th- I don't know. I don't think I've seen that mentioned anywhere. Mm. Just that he was, you know, had several run-ins with the law and and seemed to be able to to get away with a lot and like not, um, you know, he never um, never completed like full terms in in prison. He always managed to either escape or you know or get off in some way. So it, yeah. people were speculating that his that his father even had some kind of protection. Yeah, I thought he, I I thought he was going to say uh, based on what he said something that besmirched the. Forces. I thought he was going to say Stephen was an army brat. Yeah, but uh, is there was Stephen in the army at all? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen anything mentioned about that. But I, I find it it'd be amazing if he if he was going to accidentally say Stephen was an arms dealer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be really uh, yeah weird for him to let that one slip. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's but just speculation. But yeah. I, I don't really buy the uh, the FBI sting operation. That sounds like a limited somebody trying to limit a hangout type thing, you know, as far as a, a conspiracy well, theory that, limited hangout, you know? Yeah. But that could be, you know, if we just take it as speculation, that could be a way that they, that someone controlling him would be able to get him in that room. Would have presented um, to him. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Possibly, like here, we're going to set you up and this is all the gear that you're going to be showing off. And right. you know, yeah. who knows? Who knows? He might've been into it for the, for the thrills, you know? Um, but definitely he was a patsy, you know? Um, so, as best as we can work work it out, and it's not hard to work it out, really, uh, from this scenario, the, obviously the official story is complete nonsense. Um, obviously, there were two shooters, at least, well, let's say two in that room with two broken windows. Uh, and certainly, um, two people would be, would, would be more rational as one is firing. The other will be watching the cameras that are watching the hallway because you don't set up a camera in the hallway for no reason. And when you're firing one of those guns, you don't have time to be looking at a camera at the same time. So two people taking turns, one essentially as keeping watch, the other one firing, then they switch roles. Um, They're in that room. Before they start firing, Paddock's probably dead uh, because, you know, you don't want any interruptions. Um, Paddock's been killed already. He's just been in the room. These guys, you know, over a few days, take the uh, take those weapons up, or with Paddock, or without him, the weapons are taken up into um, the room, um, and they get Paddock in there on on some pretext, you know, or what, like you were describing, some kind of a bogus story about an arms deal. They do their shooting. They uh, they go through the hole in the wall. They disappear. And at the same time, down below, there's a team of people who are all part of this, who are the distraction uh, element, and they're uh, going around various different stations at various different uh, casinos up and up and down the strip, shooting, and you know, out in in front in, in the front of the at, at the at the doors, the entry doors, in the lobby or whatever, and, and causing chaos and, and pulling uh, SWAT teams. Uh, to each of those locations because of very definite, clear reports and, and objective reports of uh, an active shooter 
at those locations, uh, which pulls them all away and therefore leaves very little people, hardly anybody, to actually go up to the floor where the shooting uh, from the Mandalay is coming, uh, giving the people inside time to, you know, do a quick staging of the of the scene, check everything's right, escape through the, the wall. As I said, down one of them goes up, one of them goes down. Uh, they're dressed as security guards. They walk away. And... Um, and someone inside the police is, you know, maybe directing things as well to some extent. But whatever the case, we know that it took them an hour and five minutes to get into that room. And those people that were shooting from that room were long gone. And it was left. It has similarities with the attack in Paris in November 2015, where the main attack took place at uh, the Bataclan concert venue. Um, most victims were there. But then there were all these other cafes Cafe streets, streets nearby and some a bombing. fair bit further away. A bombing just outside stadium. the stadium. Um, d- practically drive-by shootings mm-hmm. in those cases. Um, where it's like there's one event and that's the main purpose, but there's all these other ones. And that, I suppose, it's obviously, but there might be, ta- there might be tactical reasons for doing it to divert. Absolutely. Uh, to confuse. Yep. Um, the security for the police, the police's ability to, to respond to it, but it has the added benefit of really ramping up the fear, the fear yeah. and the chaos. Yeah. Um, which for the people who do this kind of thing, it's the end in itself. I mean, well, that's exactly what terrorism is for, right? I mean, the definition of terrorism is is to terrify people. Mm-hmm. This is extremely effective terrorism. Um, that whole debate about whether or not this was. A madman or a terrorist attack, uh, that's obviously being framed in the wrong way. That's being framed, of, oh, if he was brown and Muslim, this would be a terrorist attack. Now, it's nothing to do with the, the race thing. It's a terrorist attack because it was supposed to instill a lot of terror, and it worked mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. As well, it always does. Of course, it gives, I mean, you talk about the media not reporting on it, but the media do report on, or, or what they use it for, uh, like the kind of liberal media, let's say, the lefty media with their lefty agenda, uh, talking about uh, you know white males, they're basically you, they're spinning it for, into a kind of white male white privilege uh, debate, uh, and saying that you know I think one one headline was all white men in America are lone are are lone wolves. Okay, maybe they're not mass shooters and stuff, but they're more or less like lone wolves, you know. So it's it, it's it's been used to fuel this. Ridiculous kind of patriarchy, white privilege, uh, which really has the flavor of a kind of like a low-level, you know, attempt at uh, at, at revolution, you know, at, or some kind of a civil disturbance, you know, setting uh, population against each other, basically social chaos. Uh, and <laughs> to see people, I mean, that's the contribution of the mainstream media to this, to use it. Instead of looking at the actual the holes in the story and exposing it, they use it to further fuel uh, social discord in, in other areas across the whole country. Yeah. In terms of how they would get away from somewhere so public as this. Um, Vegas? Vegas, major highway on the left, airport on the right, private airport terminals even closer. One of them, every one the CIA every, terminal that ferries military VIPs on a daily yeah. basis. Um, Here's one for the conspiracy theorists. Every one of them was in Area 51 before midnight. 
They were, they were, they were out of there. They, they were, were out, definitely of out of there before midnight. They were definitely out of there before 11. Well, they were out of the Mandalay Bay before 11. They were, out of the, they were in the air uh, before before midnight, I'd say, or yeah. by midnight. The airport wasn't actually closed. Um, the media made a big deal out of saying that the airport was closed, McCarran Airport. Yeah, hang on. The airport wasn't closed until like 2.30 a.m. for a few hours. They kept two of the runways open, even even as people were fleeing across the runway. They just shut down the two with people on them. They left the other two open. People, people aircraft were landing and taking off all night. And in, in any other situation, I think if there was even a whiff of an active shooting nearby, never mind people fleeing with gunshot wounds onto the runway, the airport would be shut down. Come on. I don't even need to look a protocol to know how that works. That, that, that's just so. That's another unusual thing. I mean, uh, people were fleeing. They fl- they didn't just flee in a, a breach the perimeter on say the the west side of the airport. They fled across the runway. They fled into the main terminal. There's a report of thirty people fleeing past the terminal to the west, the east end of the airport, into the Allegiant Air Maintenance Facility. Google Earth tells me that's almost five miles to the east of the concert venue. Um, there are other stories of people who went in similar distance to the north and the south. Um, another group of about 50 people ended up in the signature support, uh, signature flight support hangar. Look up that facility on Google Earth. It's directly one mile south of the venue. Um, I'm, br- I'm bringing this up because... I don't. I don't buy that they were simply shot at from one location, and then that stimulated them to to run for miles and miles. I think that, that part of the additional chaos and terror produced in Las Vegas that night is that the people had very good reason to believe, to suspect that there were gunmen in different places, as they would flee away from the Mandalay Bay and the concert venue. They could hear gunfire getting louder. And people left and right of them were dropping. So yeah, they would flee further and further and further. So um, yeah, with that kind of chaos, it's it's not difficult to see how you could get away, blend in. There are reports. There's one woman who's sitting in a bar, um, Australian woman, because it was reported in Australian media, following up on them, some Aussies who were in Vegas that night. She says she's in a bar in Luxor and she sees this guy in a security uniform coming down an escalator from Mandalay. He's being chased, sprinting, he's going full pelt and he's being chased by other security guys wearing the same uniform from the Mandalay. So you can imagine there, if it's well planned and well thought out, the operators doing this thing, they're going to blend in. They're going to now have police uniform, others will have a security uniform depending on what facility they're close to or 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 inside of, like, the Mandalay Bay. Um, there was one standout report of someone in black fatigues. Probably mentioned this last week. That that still stands. Um, in fact, there were many reports. It sounded like the, the police took this situation very seriously. Um, it was described as an older white male, Hispanic, possibly with an Afro, um, in fatigues with, a, with black duffel bags, um, acting suspicious or something. Uh, outside Hooters and a follow-up report said he'd moved on to Motel 6. Motel 6 is 
right on the perimeter of the airport also. And beyond that, again, there's another private airport hangar. Um, there's no follow-up on what happened to him, but we do know that they sent us police to uh, apprehend him. And one guy is there, so I'm in position, I have shotgun, we're ready. And then we don't know what happened after that. Um, mm. There is a social media post from someone who's on a resort somewhere on the Strip. Um, made on the night, he says, here's a photo of a guy, you see under that sheet there? I just watched the cops shoot him dead. No follow-up about who he might have been. That's something to take into consideration. Some, some or more of the people doing this may have been one or more. Let's say a few may have actually been. The police may have got them, yeah. but they disappear. They disappear. Just a, just a comment on the um, on the rounds. Nobody, I don't think probably someone has commented on this, but I haven't seen it. Uh, the guns in that room were all basically semi-automatic, kind of assault rifle type AR-15, M4, whatever. Type assault rifles, and I think in the the stacks of ammunition, the the magazines that you see stacked in places are uh, they're a hundred round magazines. This is used to kind of justify or explain the rate of fire from from the from the hotel and the amount of people killed and the amount of bullets fired. But as I said, the sound of the fire from the Mandalay Bay does not match any of those rifles. Uh, in fact, those rifles uh, using hundred hundred round magazines <clears throat> can only fire. Um, 550, 5.56 by let's say 45 or 51 millimeter. Basically, they're smaller, smaller bullets. Uh, 400 yards is at the very limit of those, um, of of those of that kind of a weapon with those kind of rounds. Uh, you you would really not do a lot of damage in in the sense of because uh, it's lost so much velocity because it's a smaller bullet, etc. Uh, by the time it reaches 400 yards, um, it's the wrong weapon that uh, would match with the high casualty rate and the fact that doctors have said people were just like basically blown full of holes basically the weapon that matches it was a higher higher capacity or a larger larger caliber bullet a, a 762 by 51 which is the bullet fired in the in the kind of military style uh, machine gun automatic machine gun that we've talked about like an, yeah. like a like an m240 yeah uh, so basically Anybody with any understanding of ballistics and, and, and guns and how they work and stuff would immediately be able to look at that scene and look at those rifles and look at the, the magazines and the bullets that supposedly were being used because they were all displayed there on the floor and say that, you know, these this wouldn't have done this kind of damage. Not only does it not match the sound of the gun, but it doesn't, This this the, the distance here is at the very limit of the distance uh, for this kind of a gun and this kind of, uh, these kind of bullets. Um, the the weapon that we're saying was used has pretty much in terms of effective range has twice the effective range of the guns that are seen in Paddock's room. That's why that kind of a gun. I mean, it just fits across the board that that none of the weapons that they say were in the room were the weapons that were used to kill those people. Right, and the the surgeons at uh, UMC Trauma, it's like a the major hospital in Las Vegas. Within days, I mean, they already given descriptions and. The head surgeon there said there are two basic types of wounds that come in that night. Um, one we're familiar with, there are small puncture wounds, usually shot clean through. We can deal with those. A lot of people who came in with those bullet wounds, we were giving them tubes because it punctured their lungs somewhere on the upper, upper cavity, and they just needed tubes to be able to breathe. And then right away, it could be plugged up. They were basically fine. 
And then the other half, he said roughly 50-50, they were coming in with wounds we have never seen before. This is the only trauma facility, I believe, in all of Nevada. So it serves the entire state. And the trauma surgeons there had never seen these kinds of bullet wounds before. Right. Because, they because they'd never been in a war zone right, before. Right, they happened in the battlefield because that's the kind of weapon that was used. So effectively, these are people, people who fired these weapons are people with uh, military connections, background, access, i.e. not Stephen Paddock, for the love of Yeah, Jesus. that kind of answers the next, doesn't it? We've done the what and the how, the who. Oh, yeah. Who are they? Well, you know? Deep state, deep cover, black ops, kind of assassins, basically mercs, kind of mercenary guys that have been flooding Iraq for the past 15 years, or flooded Iraq after 2003 and Afghanistan. Um, yeah, there's no shortage of them, basically, to be on, on call, on a list somewhere for this kind of a quote-unquote job. And um, they're basically just, you know, they're the people who like killing, you know, who like shooting guns and killing people. Um, and there's lots of them around. And that's what the military's for, you know, is to find those kind of people. And that's what the CIA likes to find as well, as those kind of people for CIA operations. <coughs> but what, what American would kill other Americans? Well, you know. It, Harrison can answer that one. It's for the cause. <laughs> what's, what's their cause? Their cause? Their cause is, um, I don't know if the guys who do the shooting actually need a cause. You know, because a lot of people who just like would think it would be fun. I mean, there's plenty of allegations about Dick Cheney uh, enjoying a bit of human hunting <clears throat> in his spare time uh, back in the day. So uh, there's plenty of people, particularly in politics and in, 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 in authority, let's say, up the pyramid, who, you know, it selects for that kind of people who crave power and control and domination over others. And it's not a big jump to get to the point where you would actually like. Uh, killing people and you see yourself as so detached and so above and so divorced from the ordinary person that you see them as kind of cattle, basically. And uh, if if you need a rationale beyond that, if anybody needs one, they would probably say that it's ultimately about about controlling the American population and keeping them in line, you know, keeping them down and um, through fear. You know, it's the, 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 the farmer cattle analogy it works pretty well, you know. Um, you want to keep them in a certain, <clears throat> a certain state of uh, kind of consciousness almost or awareness you want to keep them uh, traumatized effectively and they're more easily controlled that way you know uh, but also it's not just about controlling them in a, in a in a negative sense it's it's about maybe provoking something within the country as well you know stirring it up uh, just generating chaos i don't know these people are nuts which is, is that is that our answer to why then the only thing because I can think of all again, it's the same question applies as would apply with a single shooter by Stephen Paddock, as would apply to a deep state uh, unit. Um, the same question would be: that's an incredible level of premeditation and organization. So, in other words, a lot of a good a fair bit of energy expenditure on their part for an outcome. Right. So, why? Why they need us? I want everyone to remember why they need us. Inflict trauma. Basically, it's doing terrorism. Right. It's, it's, but uh, to hell with getting a passy in and saying he was a suicide bomber and having him blow people up. Let's really do it. Really, really. Let's let's get a lot of terror out of this. Hmm. Go massive, so to speak. It's sadism. It's... And, and there's no one better. Rather than get someone over from the Middle East to do it, really, we're the best. So we'll yeah. do it ourselves. Yeah. 
With better access, better access and stuff, you know. So someone on the in the chat room suggested this was such a sloppy false flag that it was done that way on purpose. <laughs> it it is so bad. I mean, it is, you know, but it's, it's remarkable compared to previous ones, and it's almost like it's a vindication of of what we've been saying about previous ones that are maybe a little bit more uh, harder to, to 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 tease out or to uh, expose as, as as false flags. But this one is is absolutely just got it's got it written all over it from from beginning to end and. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I allow for that. I allow for the possibility that um, that it didn't go to plan necessarily. Um, uh, that these people were rumbled, and this is where we come back to Campos, you know, and what he was actually doing there, and should he even have been there, you know? What the hell was this guy doing? Was he trying to win some brownie points or something because he was new on the job and he thought he'd just go run around checking different things and say, tell his boss, you know, hey, look, I found this problem, you know, and when he shouldn't have been, and no one expected him to be. So he ends up on, uh, he's check, he says, you know what I'm going to do today? No one asked me to do this, but just to earn some brownie points, I'm going to go up the stairwell uh, over all 43 floors, and I'm going to check the emergency exits at the, end of the st- at the end of the stairwell just to make sure they're all functioning properly. And then I'm going to go and tell my supervisor that he did that, and I'll get some brownie points. So he gets, he gets to the 32nd floor. <laughs> he gets to the 32nd floor, and he's like, oh, this one doesn't work. I can't get through this one. It's, you know, wow. And he was never meant to be there. And so he can't get through it, so he goes up the stairs and he says, I'm going to sort this out, I'm going to really get some points for this, because this is a serious problem, and I'll be the one who told everybody there's a problem with this door. So he goes up the stairs, because he can't get through the door, he goes up the stairs to the 33rd floor, comes down the elevator, starts walking along the hallway with a mission to sort out what the problem with that door is. And the guys inside the room are, what the hell, who the F is that? And they say, well, we better shoot at him. So they shoot at him, and then, maybe it didn't, maybe it wasn't meant to start so early, but as soon as that happened, it's possible that you know that it was precipitated in that way, you know, because you have this uh, strange situation where you have, uh, you know, Campos saying that these guys were. I think they may have been <clears throat> may have been pushed ahead in terms of their plans, you know, and there may have been a bit of chaos uh, sown amongst in the whole operation in general because of Campos. And he really wasn't meant to be there. He should not have been there. Um, there's no reason for. They had, in some way or other, maybe there's someone inside the hotel, or maybe there's someone in the security, the guy who oversees the security, or maybe they had checked it all out and they realized that, you know, we're going to have like a couple hours clear here where nobody's going to be in this in this hallway. And Campos comes along as a doofus new guy and gets himself in trouble. But in doing so, stumbles across <laughs> a false flag operation, and it all goes a bit, uh, I mean, they obviously, you know, managed to carry on ahead but their plans maybe were pushed forward and they had to you know desperately uh, or a bit bit quicker than they planned drill a hole in that damn wall to make sure they had escape and then get on the firing pretty quick and then get out of there or something along those lines i'm just allowing for the possibility that campus the main point about campus here why he's why he's a bit of an enigma here is because he should never have been part of this story at all that him being there was not foreseen, not planned, and that would tie in with him being a new guy and whatever, you know. Okay. That's just a theory. That's as far as I go with theories. Everything else is a hard fact, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's so chaos. Okay. um, Do we want to take a call here? Yeah, let's do it. We have Sire on the line. 
Hey, how's it going, guys? How you doing? Good. Um, real quick, I just wanted to mention this um, witness, Kimberly uh, Sukamel, I think is her name, and she just died recently. Um, she had some health problems, suffered from epilepsy, and had a, quote, benign brain tumor. But she put this rather long post on Facebook in which she states categorically that there was more than one gun firing, 100% yeah. more than one. <clears throat> Um, and I haven't seen much talk about that, that one. So I just wanted to draw yeah. attention to it. Yeah. I, we noticed that ourselves and, um, it's, I mean, they threw in the idea about epilepsy. Apparently she was in bed asleep. Uh, her husband left for work at four thirty in the morning. She was asleep and her, her, her mother, I think her grandmother was coming around at about eight thirty in the morning to to uh, look after her kid because uh, then she would be going to work I think so the grandmother arrives at 8.30 and there's no answer so she lets herself in or whatever and finds her daughter dead in bed and assumes that well, her, the grandmother said I think um, that it was that shooting that she was involved in that she was at in, in Las Vegas that basically killed her because it just stressed right but it is very suspicious and yeah. I mean on the one hand I thought to myself well you know what are they going to go and kill everybody who said there were two shooters but then I thought maybe it's a message you know but depends how widely that gets spread around you know there are certainly there are other, there, she just wrote that on Facebook but there's there's a couple one girl was just on, on, on video who was interviewed by uh, was she interviewed by mainstream media outlet uh, Downs, Renee Downs. No, the other one, the, the younger girl with the guy talking about the definitely other shooters. Oh yeah, they were one of the first to be interviewed. They were interviewed uh, by CNN on right. the night. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's video of of someone even more emphatically than um, than this this girl you're talking about, Brent, um, who who you know was was saying definitely. <laughs> Not just more than one shooter, but on the ground. There, yeah, and there. I've uh, I've got a whole bunch of um, social media posts being made by people who were there, describing multiple shooters, describing fleeing the concert venue, mm. primarily to the east and the south, and feeling like or knowing for sure whatever their perception was exactly that the the gunfire was getting closer as they fled in in those two directions. And uh, that's why we suspect there was a shooter on the ground somewhere between those two tall towers yeah. and the two fuel tanks over over by the um, Oasis apartment complex. Yeah, so we don't know. I mean, it's possible. It is weird, weird it uh, is coincidence. It is coincidence, at least. Um, so soon afterwards, you know, and I mean, um, she's had epilepsy all her life, I think, based on the report. Apparently, so. she, I also read that she had a small tumor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean it's it's very possible that she did die of natural causes, but it's just kind of an interesting little blip yeah. on the radar. And her but, her account is very categorical. Right. Yeah. It is, and and there are many others. I'm I'm <clears throat> trying to put them together. Hopefully, we'll get them uh, published asap. Um, there's a lot of others who have similarly categorical accounts. Um, uh, she, she's just one of them. That's why it doesn't stand out for me. I'm like, well, why would she in particular be targeted? It's not like she's in a minority. Yeah. Um, I would say a majority of people who were there, of 20, remember, 22,000 people, that's a lot of people. If we were to line them up one by one, I'd say we get a majority of them in agreement. Even even I now, more than one sure, yeah. even now, after clearly they would have gotten the chills in the last two weeks of realizing, oh my God, They're officially, the, you know, my, the, my authority figures, my country says it's only one. I reckon it's, it's still so clear to them that there were more than one that 
they would still say so. So, like Joe said, they can't um, snuff everyone else. So, I, I don't think it's likely that they'd have started down that route, you know. We'll see, though. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I got a dip, but thanks for taking okay. the call. Okay. All right. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for calling, Brent. Um, her story is, is fascinating. Um, I think I think it's on Sat uh, as of today. Um, it's an incredible account. Uh, if only because she's she's among the groups that fled so far. They fled. They jumped over or broke through airport perimeter fences and fled all the way to. Oh God! Uh, she was part of the group. Kimberly was part of the group that went into the main airport terminal, and was still so spooked that when they shouted around the people there, are they here? Are we safe here? And the others looked at them like they had, you know, what the hell? Who are these people that come here with gunshot wounds and stuff? They were, the people in the airport were afraid of them. And so there was a kind of a standoff. So they, they said, oh, to hell with this. And they left the airport terminal and carried on and apparently breached another perimeter fence out on the other side to the north and the east of McCarran Airport grounds. And eventually found shelter in a gas station somewhere by the university campus over there. Just just exhausted from running so hard. Um, and, and so many people have a similar story. And I think that they can, that's only because that they've had compounded fear by, yes, the fear of being shot at and seeing other people taking uh, bullets. But then additionally, as they ran away, having this permanent sensation right. instilled in them of there being shooters all around. Some of them felt that they were being hunted, basically. And yeah, they had one to keep said going. as much, were I mean, being hunted. Because if it was just from the Mandalay Bay and there was just shooting going on at the main crowd in the Mandalay Bay and that was it, once people got out of the actual compound that the, or the area that the, the concert was happening in and got maybe, you know, let's say 100 yards away, close to the Tropicana behind, or, you know, they would just calm down, you know. They might still hear the shooting now at maybe five five or six hundred yards away you might still be ongoing but you would feel safe there but there's a lot of people who once they get outside they're still being shot at according to them which forces them to freaking say i'm, I'm they want to run to the other end of the strip you know five miles away and they won't feel safe until they're there you know because they've been terrorized in that way and they just i mean it's just the whole thing is mad in the sense that all of this evidence that's readily available that is almost, I mean, you put it together and it's a slam dunk case of this lone wolf story being complete and utter BS. And it's being ignored, completely, 100% ignored, you know? We're not talking about, like in previous cases, where we say, well, the media is ignoring this little detail here that could suggest something else is going wrong. We're talking about almost every detail yeah. is glaringly full of holes or, or false or, or suspicious. And... And the media ignores it. They just run yeah. along with it. It's pathetic, you know. A dome of silence was put down on Vegas right away, immediately. That that girl we mentioned earlier, her name was Corinne, the young couple who were interviewed almost immediately, who, who described shooting coming from all directions and specifically cited coming from the direction of the staff parking lot, which is the lot immediately east of the venue. Um, uh God, I forgot what I was going to say about her. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll leave it. I had a blank. Okay. 
I think we'll, we'll, we'll the next we'll, we'll write some stuff up here and put together our thoughts and then stick it on the web for yeah. for posterity, and then we'll move on. Hopefully, Las Vegas will go away because by no means do we think that this is uh, they've reached the the pinnacle of their brutality and psychopathy. Um, there'll be more to come, so we need to put this one to bed, say our piece, and leave it there. There's not much more we can do. We can't expect that people are going to, you know, all take the red pill, as someone in the chat room has been saying. Uh, but certainly, I think a lot of people have been, uh, I mean, you know, people are fickle in the end as well. People, there's a, lot, a lot of people at the concert who would be saying, yeah, there's more than one shooter, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Move on. What are you going to do? Yeah. Vegas, Vegas strong. Yeah, Vegas strong. Let's just think think good thoughts and move on and hope things, to, I hope everything will be all right. Forgetting the fact that if you think there were two shooters here, what that implies and what that implies yeah. for the government that you are moving yeah. on with and what it might do in the future. Yeah. How about putting yourself in jeopardy, you know? Anyway, um, a couple other things before we wrap up. Uh, what about uh, Trump land? More adventures in Trump land. Harrison, have you got anything to say on Trumpy? Uh, maybe just a, Iran. Bit, a bit briefly. <clears throat> so for for the last uh, last two weeks, I think there's been um, all kinds of um, speculation and like anticipation of whether Trump would uh, recertify or decertify the uh, Iran's compliance of the uh, nuclear deal from 2015. And so he finally came out on Friday and said uh, that he would not recertify that, um, in his opinion, Iran has violated um, the deal in some way. And so, well, just to give a few details, that just pushes the issue to Congress. So they now have to um, basically say if Trump is right or not. And, but what's interesting about well, the kind of big picture that I see in this is that <clears throat> maybe we can talk about Trump in general and um, kind of his policies because there are several um, like campaign promises that he made that uh, we were kind of um, throughout throughout the campaign and afterwards kind of semi-supportive of in the sense that, well, you know, that seems like a, an actually a decent policy like the the kind of overarching idea he had about American foreign policy <clears throat> and a more kind of um, stop stop overthrowing other governments and going to war with them kind of policy, mm-hmm. which uh, pretty much anyone should be able to uh, support and, you know, get behind. Um, and then, of course, a whole bunch of other domestic policies. But there are a few issues, and maybe we can uh, like identify them, where he just seemed like totally off the wall. And Iran has always been one of them. Um, it's like Iran is the biggest, baddest, um, you know, country on the planet, maybe next to North Korea. And so, who for who else is Iran the biggest, baddest, worst country on the on the planet? Well, primarily Israel, um, Saudi Arabia, a bit below that. And so it looks like, I mean, when it comes to Iran, Trump is just a, a total kind of Zionist mouthpiece. Um, either he agrees with them, which is um, kind of not uh, not a, a good point in his. Uh, yeah, well, this is all about obviously <laughs> obviously about Israel, right? I mean, yeah. this whole nonsense of I mean, they they, they what they did was they uh, they sanctioned the 
Republican Guard, the Iranian Republican Guard, members of the Iranian Republican Guard, like, yeah. I don't know, their bank accounts or something, or, you know, uh, however that works. Um, um, but they Trump stopped short of actually pulling out of the deal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> just didn't renew it, which leaves it in kind of limbo. It's still... It's still going. It's still the agreement is still there, but we're just not. We haven't renewed it, so we're just voicing our unhappiness with it officially by not officially renewing it. But it's pretty much still in place. Um, yep. And of course, then and the reason they do this is because and they sanction the the, the financial uh, put financial sanctions on the uh, Iranian Republican Guard because uh, they are the primary sponsors of terrorism in the Middle East, in the Middle East and in the world in general. Blah 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 blah. Uh, and they cite uh, Hezbollah and Hamas. Uh, hello, that's just basically Netanyahu speaking through Donald Trump's big orange face, yeah. you know. Uh, so um, this is about Israel, obviously, and it's a bit of a sop to Israel. It's it's almost like a big nothing burger in a certain sense. Um, although, and the Iranians are emboldened by the fact that the EU. This isn't. There's a division here that has risen up between. Trump, the Trump administration and the EU in terms of the EU being very happy with mainly for financial reasons and all the deals uh, that the EU is, has been doing over the past number of years since Iran was, since this deal was struck. Uh, the EU has been doing a lot of financial deals in terms of European com- com- uh, companies. Big companies have been doing deals in Iran and making a lot of money and hope to make a lot more, mon- more money. Uh, so they're, the EU is against that and, and you know want to keep this deal and keep everything nice with Iran and don't be rocking the boat, but Israel wants the boat rocked um, and wants more action against Iran in the Middle East, you know. Um, mm. But also, uh, there's a lot of American companies who are doing deals with Iran and want to make some money as well. So Trump yeah. was trying to like pander Boeing. to them, yeah, trying trying to pander to them at the same time. So he's almost like he's he's he's, he's a bit of a stop to Israel. There you go. Okay, happy now. We didn't renew the deal, but it doesn't really change anything. Of course, the Israelis aren't going to be happy with that and. But there's not much they can do about it. Uh, I th- the impression I get is it's it's the impression I get between Iran and Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran and um, of course the Saudis are are happy about they want to get Iran as well because Saudi Arabia and Iran are joined at the hip or Saudi Arabia, Arabia and Israel are more or less joined at the hip at least from their their, their strategy for the Middle East. But with this basically rabble rising over Iran and the ongoing boring my ears off my eyes out having to watch the same stuff over and over again about North Korea. Kim Jong-il says, you will die in a fiery conflagration of terrible awfulness. And Trump says, we're going to bomb you. I just, I mean, just rehash that story and repeat it every few days in different words for the past two months, three months. And it's like, oh God, somebody stop these people, you know, before I, you know, throw myself off a cliff, you know. Uh, It's just, it's distraction. It's just like it's ooh scary nuclear war. What, what you know, something bad might happen. It's you know, it's trying to it's trying to kind of spook the flock, basically spook the herd. You know, repeatedly spook the herd, keep them on tenterhooks. You know, those that are listening. You know, and and the ones that aren't listening, well, they just drive. They get a wind of it, and it just drives them further into their smartphones and their 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 video games. You know what I mean? They just block out the world even more. And the ones that are paying attention are having it hard to kind of like keep looking because it's kind of like, well, it's a bit freaky, isn't it? They keep on talking about nuclear war and North Korea and Iran and I don't know what else, all sorts of stuff. It's freaky, you know? That's their agenda seems to be. It's just to kind of like, you know, for the average person, it's meant to scare them into this, to distraction. For us, it's designed to bore us to tears. 
<laughs> Good. So I didn't miss anything these last two weeks. Then. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the big news for me over the last fortnight is um, the Saudi king going to Moscow and the whole kowtow yeah. over that. I mean, that is a big ass. That's a signal. Like, I mean, Iran is one thing, but if Iran, if Riyadh and Tehran dance to the new sheriff's tune, as Pepe Escobar put it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's curtains, curtains for the petrodollar, the yeah. US. That's that's the big as, as hegemon. That's the big thing floating in the background, you know. And it's interesting to see when you see real problems in terms of the possible demise of the petrodollar and a new order emerging in the in the in the Middle East and in Eurasia in general as a result of China and Russia and the serious threat, the real very definite threat that poses to American hegemony in the world. You see the response to that stuff that isn't really talked about in the media in that way. Uh, the response to that from the media and from the West, Western governments, particularly the US, is to create a boogeyman, you know, a specter. Uh, it's basically a distraction, you know. There's real stuff going on behind the scenes here that uh, imply a serious change in the global financial order and 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 uh, power structure in the world with America taking several steps back or down the ladder uh, and and the implications of what that might mean. Uh, for well, the global order in America financially, um, that's what's going on. That's not talked about, and what you get is North Korea is going to bomb us. Iran sponsoring terrorism all over the world. We're going to have to do something about this. You know, America's response to and in between it, Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. In, in, in case the message isn't really getting home, let's actually beat heads here. Right. Well, excuse me, shoot at people. Yeah. So. It's just yeah, that's why I said it's, it's, it's a distraction. It's just a, it's a sleight of hand. It's a distract. You know, look at look look over here. You know, um, because they I think they don't want people to uh, while those moves are being made to supplant the to change or supplant the petrodollar with the gold backed currency led by China and Russia and change the order in the Middle East and and basically deal a pretty fatal blow uh, to 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 the U.S. Um, they, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, well, no, keep in mind that this isn't about dealing a fatal blow to the US. No, no, but it would. That's, that's, that's how that, it's. That's, that's, well, that's what would happen. I mean, that, that, that yeah. seems to be where it's going, you know. Um, to the US and, as, and yeah, as, as global and empire. I remember I was going to the US as a country. No, as a global empire, the American empire, basically. Um, and I think what they don't want, one of the things that's part of the, these people's perception or their awareness of what they need to keep a control on is that they don't want the awareness of that new world order uh, that I just described uh, take, becoming, or people in the West and particularly in America becoming aware of it because that would in some way kind of give it legs or something if you you, you, you validate it by recognising that it's a real thing, that it's really happening, that Russia and China really are changing the global kind of structure and order into a more multipolar world. And if you, if people in the West, particularly in America, get wind of that, and if the media start reporting it, it would, it would give it, it would validate it. And speed it up, basically. So the best they can do is to basically ignore it 
and create a distraction that plays into the American empire's agenda, which is we still need to be the policeman of the world. We still need to be in the Middle East. We still need to be in Afghanistan to stop Iran. We need to be in the Pacific region to stop North Korea. So it's like a counter narrative, which is a BS narrative to, that justifies American, the, the, the current world order of America as a global hegemon. Because look at all these threats and we're under threat and we need to be over there. But behind the scenes, what's really happening is the American empire is crumbling. And nobody, talk, don't talk about it. Don't mention it in the media. And not even that, it's not even a, an attack on America. It's simply the changing world order as it tends to do. You know, as an empire kind of overstretches itself and, and starts to crumble and stuff. The last thing you should do is ever mention that fact. The irony is that their efforts to distract people from doing, from, from making this connection, from seeing what's going on on a global level is accelerating the process. Yeah. Because they bleat on and on and on about how evil Russia is. Right. But th that only brings to the fore within Americana, within the U.S. country, that Russia is a big deal now. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just one example. China being another one. Yeah. Yeah, they just, I mean, it's... You know they're speeding their own their own demise. You know it's like it's the question is well, will they take all of us with them? Right. It's uh, if I can't have it, no one can, no one else can. Uh, that kind of psychopathic uh, uh, ideology or approach to things. If uh, rather than cut your losses and say you know well we had a good run of it, but uh, maybe we should uh, take stock of reality and, and face facts and, and allow this you know new new order to 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 take hold because it seems to be going there anyway. No, let's not do that. Let's fight it all the way. Uh, let's cut off our noses, basically, despite our face, or despite other people's faces. And um, and if necessary, let's burn it all down so no one can have it. That might be... There's, some, there's certainly a certain element within the U.S. kind of deep state who, who hold to that, uh, that, that perspective or, or think that's the way to go. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's not good for all the rest of us. <sighs> Chaos... Beckons. The chaos is already here. Anyway, it's almost a two-hour mark. I think we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Um, as we said, we'll, uh, we'll update uh, with some written content on the Las Vegas stuff, and as usual, we'll be keeping on top of uh, everything else. Uh as it transpires so thanks for listening hope you enjoyed the show have a good evening and see you next week All right. thanks everyone see you later see you next week bye